Welcome to our DMVR Draft Podcast this beautiful Thursday night here. I am your host, Andre Simone. Have yet to miss one of these bad boys in our history. Uh, that actually might not be true. But if I miss it, then the, the pod doesn't go on, period. Anyways, flying solo this week. Um, boy, old Mel Tucker pulling, pulling the rug under the... The Buffs feed and everyone else has Henry extra busy and kind of last minute. So I wasn't really able to plan an alternate. Doesn't matter, guys. It's going to be a great show. I appreciate you all listening. I want to remind you that we at the Draft Pod are presented by Illegal Pete's, Denver's home for the best burritos, tacos, nachos, and so much more. Illegal Pete's is offering the DMVR family an incredible deal if you guys are heading to any game or any event, stop by Illegal Pete's before or after you go. The same day of your event, show them your ticket, and you will get a free draft beer or a free margarita with a purchase of a full-size entree. Pretty baller deal right there. Illegal Pete's has nine locations in Colorado, six in Denver, two in Boulder, and one in Fort Collins. So make sure that you swing by for delicious grub before or after any game or any event and grab your free beer or margarita with the purchase of a full-size entree. All right. Thank you to the good folks at Illegal Pete's. Thank you to you. Here's the thing about doing a year-round draft pod. Sometimes you feel like you've kind of covered it all. Um... And, you know, my mind's just been on other things. We had this NBA trade deadline and this unexpected coaching change. So I've been trying to think of candidates and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we'll get into that towards the end of the show. But then I thought, you know, one thing. This, this is an amazing offensive draft class, period. There is so much talent on offense. I'm, I was going through my big board, my top 100. Soon it'll be published, I promise. I know I've been saying that for a while, but at a certain point, I have a deadline at the, at this point. So it, it'll be up very soon. Don't you worry. Um, it's just offensive player after offensive player. You've got the quarterbacks at the top. You've got a really, really phenomenal class of wide receivers, some great offensive tackles populating the top 50, the top 70 or so selections. I swear it feels like half those guys in the top 70 are wide receivers or offensive tackles. There's plenty of running backs. The As I said, the quarterback's at the top. You've got some guards, sprinkled, guards and centers sprinkled in all over the place. But there are still some defenders, and you do wonder... With the trade market on maybe some receivers, uh, with some offensive linemen in play in free agency. Well, you know, as Mays was saying back at the Senior Bowl and stuff like that, the more logical thing to me, just f from an analytical perspective, looking at it from, from the outside, your window on defense is more now. Your window on offense is more looking forward to the future. So yes, you want to improve over the below average showings that 
this offense has had over the years. But you also understand that it's going to take a little while, and really the goal should be with a new offensive coordinator, a young quarterback, some young developing weapons around him, uh, one of the better young guards in the game, that you've got a core to build around to where this can be the year where they take that next step. And then by 2021, you really can try to make that jump and pounce. And so you would think you'd want to draft heavy on offense, take advantage of this group to keep building towards the future, and you spend those free agent dollars towards defense. But it's not necessarily, you know, things don't always play out that way. You can have an overarching strategy, but a lot of times it just comes down to allotment resource, to allotting resources, and it comes down to a case-by-case basis in very unique circumstances of negotiating with free agents and how the board falls in the draft. So I was thinking as much as we've talked about the offense, this episode is mostly all about the D and all about options for the Broncos on the defensive side of the football in the draft. And it starts with the kind of guys you're going to be looking at with that 15th overall pick where you have to assume Chase Young, it's not even an assumption, it's basically a fact. Something catastrophic would have to happen for him not to be gone 13 spots prior to the Broncos' selection. You assume that Okuda, the talented Ohio State cornerback, uh, isn't dropping out of the top five. He seems like a lock for the Lions if he's not you know, he's he's going in those first couple picks. Should be after Chase Young, probably the the second defender taken. I think Derek Brown's the more talented defender, but Okuda, I understand, has maybe the more rare traits in a pass heavy league and allows you to potentially shut down one whole half of the field and take on your number one wide receivers and largely take them out of the game and really be able to counter not just with his deep speed, but with that speed on crossers. He's got the length. He's got the ball skills, so he can really make plays on the ball. Amazing kind of hip swivel and short area quickness and burst, uh, but also that, that track speed that makes him really special. We've talked about Isaiah Simmons plenty. Sure, there's an outside shot that you know, he, we've always said he's a harder fit to find at the top of the draft. Um, but, you know, we largely think that some team will take him. We'll just be too enticed by those tools, too enticed by that versatility, the ability to be, you know, a high-end defender in nickel, a high-end um, safety you don't necessarily want him as a high safety, but in the box he'd be devastating. And he's shown that he can be uh, play that deeper half of the field as well, if need be. Um, and, you know, as a linebacker, out an outside linebacker, he can be an inside linebacker. He's just so versatile, so athletic, so impactful when blitzing, um, and so unique with his ability to, to drop in coverage and be so fluid and really a true hybrid. I had a friend, Luca Domeneghini, who I used to do a lot of podcasts on the draft um, back in the day, asking me, is he more Shaq Thompson or Derwin James? And 
Boy, maybe the, the answer to that question is both. Maybe he's just that perfect blend of both without the injury concerns that James had. Uh, and that could make for a pretty special player. Maybe not a super-duper elite, but you're right there. And that's why you kind of assume Simmons will be gone too. It's after those guys, young Okuda Simmons, that we really start to consider what could be. Derek Brown, by most accounts, seems to be a lock to go right around the top 7-8. You really think, you know... Um, Perfect fit in Carolina, just the best player available at that seventh pick and how it lines up. You also think, oh, man, a, a team like the Cardinals would have a hard time passing on them with some of the holes they have on their defense. And yet I could see we've talked about the silly season and you get away from the tape, you get away from the results on the field, you start to nitpick, you start to talk about positional value, and you kind of do the dumb thing of talking yourself out of an elite talent and kind of a rare specimen that Brown is. So while I think there's maybe a 10% chance, as the old, the old dumb and dumber line, so you're saying there is a chance. And I'm saying there is a slim chance, especially with... And this, I feel like, is something that we've talked about on the draft pod for a few years. AJ and I would hit this topic quite often, is that, yeah, in the last several years, we have seen the top interior defensive linemen prospects, at least some of, we feel like there's a bit of a trend with guys like Leonard Williams dropping just a bit. Now, Leonard Williams, maybe correctly. Quinton Williams, we thought that might happen with, didn't really happen. Um, Vita Vea, Darren Payne, yeah, those guys dropped a little more than we thought, especially Darren Payne. Um, Jonathan Allen really dropped further than we thought one year. So it is a kind of a trend with the interior off defensive linemen, rather, that we have seen sometimes guys drop a little further than you think. And look, in retrospect, some of those calls were correct. And we've had a lot of these highly touted defensive linemen for injuries or what have you not necessarily break out and be as good as advertised. But it's a premium position. And these guys, they're, you know, you can't teach that kind of size and blend of athleticism. And I don't think Brown... To me, Brown is the one other elite prospect in this class, at least on defense. I think very highly of Burrow. I do have s just the slightest concerns on what happens when he doesn't have a core of elite wide receivers around him and what happens if the offense isn't adapted to him. Because he production-wise and on tape, he is a one-year wonder. Um, but really, Brown to me is the one other elite prospect in the ultimate dream scenario on defense um i don't care if cd lamb who i absolutely love is around at 15 or jerry judy or andrew thomas or tristan Wirfs, any of the top offensive tackles if Derek brown is still available at 15 he has to be your pick he could be just an unbelievable building block up front for you um and just, just has rare traits because he's a mountain of a man, an absolute mountain 
Uh, but his ability to wreak havoc in the backfield, use his hands, and just be an incredible athlete at his size, take on double teams, often destroy double teams, um, almost always be the strongest guy at the point of attack. Um, he's really, really a special talent. And I think the ultimate dream scenario for a defensive player at the 15th pick. Then it's another couple of defensive linemen that I really think are in that conversation. And for me, the way I rank the next two defensive linemen, A.J. Epinesa of Iowa, a guy who was highly touted coming into the season, top 10 on my board, and ultimately right now is back at the 10th spot. Maybe not as high as he was when I had him ranked coming into the season, but boy, we're right there. We're just about splitting hairs. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda's passed him. Joe Burrow's passed him. That's about it. That's about it. I think I always had Simmons over him. Andrew Thomas might have passed him, but Thomas is like ninth on my board, so A.J. Panessa's right there with him. Um, so yeah, you're talking about ultimately not much movement in a season where production-wise he started slow and looked a bit one-dimensional as a power guy with not enough... not enough... Burst, though, I think he has the burst. I think part of it is just we get too caught up in sacks. And, you know, and the other part is as a true D end, yeah, he lacks some of that bend to, to, to really close sacks consistently. But in the Broncos' defense, he's going to be a five technique, that three, four defensive end on the first two downs in, in base looks. And I think he, you can make him work as a three technique, as a defensive tackle. He's powerful enough. He can hold his ground against the run. He's going to be competent against double teams, especially if you add a couple pounds to him. Really great in using the leverage battle. Really great in using his arms. Um, and, you know, how he ended the season, producing at a really high level against some of the better matchups, and, of course, ending the season with a bang, against USC, dominating our guy Austin Jackson, just with that power, overwhelming him consistently. And when you can do that to a guy with that length and those kind of feet, think of what you can do against guards when you're looking at that matchup consistently. What you could do opposite Draymond Jones with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller coming off the edge, that could be pretty special. And that consistency over the last two years, that production, even though production-wise he started off, um, a little slow is why I have him ranked just higher than Javon Kinlaw, the other, the third defensive lineman that really is in that conversation at 15. Kinlaw, unlike Brown and unlike Epinesa, who I think will both, I think their stocks have kind of plateaued. Um, their their tape speaks for themselves. They they need to be right there in the top 10. Uh, for what they've shown over the last couple years, what their talent warrants, uh, both the fact that they have relatively high floors. Um, so there's there's not that much risk when you select them and still pretty high ceilings, certainly with Brown and still with Epinesa because when you adapt them to be more of a five technique, less of a true D end, then I think things get really interesting. And 
could he be a more dynamic and explosive version of Derek Wolf, who comes in the league a little more ready to dominate and in a better situation than where Wolf came in and really has like the perfect defensive line around him that could allow him to break out. Um, so Epinesa thinks line up nicely, but Kinlaw's stock could really rise higher. He's a guy that he just stands out in a room. Um, he's so big. The the flashes he shows on tape are as good as any. Production isn't there. A lot of that, some of it's inconsistent play. Some of it's how he was used. Some of it is that he's on a South Carolina team where he was such a threat that he's getting double and triple teamed. Another part is maybe played down to his competition. He's certainly played his best games against the best competition. There's some Chris Jones vibes to him just in that he did his best. The The flashes are elite. The tape as a whole makes you wonder a little more. He was saying at the Senior Bowl he's kind of feeling the healthiest he's ever felt. So maybe that's part of why the tape isn't always super consistent or dominant. And it also makes you wonder, well, is are there some concerns with injuries? Um, so that's all comes into play. But Kinlaw's in the mix as well. And while he's... Look, I think at that pick, you'll probably be looking at one of the top four wide receivers or offensive linemen offensive tackles let's let's correct that and be more specific remaining and you would go with one of them over Kinlaw but it's a conversation it is with Epinesa too I think if you're playing the board Epinesa's maybe more even more so the pick but draft uh, draft needs do come into play and depending on how free agency goes, maybe FNS is kind of off your board because he's not as important, and there will be options later on in the draft at all these positions. But I really, as I as I try to narrow it down pre-combine, I think Kinlaw could really keep rising up because I, I could see that raw athleticism shining in a setting like the combine. And then, you know, all these guys, you never know what may come out injury-wise, character-wise. You just don't know. So we'll see. But I would predict his stock uh, could keep on rising. After that, and after the top guys that we talked about don't seem too realistic, I don't really think you're looking at many other options on the defensive side at 15. You'd have to justify another pick by trading down. I, I just think you can't. You know, if you traded down even three spots, then maybe options open up and you start thinking about linebackers. Kenneth Murray, I've talked about how much I love him. Boy, he had a phenomenal season. The linebacker, the interior linebacker out of Oklahoma, flies around sideline to sideline, throws his body around with reckless abandon coming downhill. Love his instincts, love the edge, the attitude he plays with spectacular linebacker the more tape I watch the more I feel he has a solid first round grade for me yes raw in coverage but has more than adequate athleticism to do the job and that's a big big part of this now 
it almost seems crazy because Patrick Queen, not many people thought the LSU interior linebacker would even declare until after the national championship. And of course he had a breakout couple playoff games really look great. Um, kind of the stud on the LSU defense with a few others. Obviously they had a great secondary and a Chasson up front, but, Queen has really risen up boards, and where I think he's interesting for the Broncos is that, boy, the more I study him, the more I think about him, just the way he plays, he, it's, not a, it's not a perfect comp, but when you read the scouting report and you, you, know, you, you squint a little, he does remind you in some ways of Roquan Smith, a great athlete, like phenomenal athlete whose upside in coverage um, is really going to stand out, whose sideline to sideline skills are off the chart. But he misses some tackles. When he takes on blocks, he doesn't always disengage quickly. He can get taken out of the mix a little bit. It's kind of that finesse linebacker. And a guy like that, Put next to um, Adrian Johnson, well, that'd be interesting. Now, then again, Kenneth Murray, I think, has similar mobility and has a, a similar edge to his game as well. So both those guys would be intriguing if you traded down a few spots and if you wanted to go on the defensive side. Xavier McKinney, I've talked about him. I've really come around to him the more I watch him. Sound tackler, great IQ, great versatility, can cover in the slot for you, um, could kind of take over that Will Parks role of that that nickel back for you. He'd do a different job. I think he'd be more competent in coverage, and you wouldn't lose too much in the tackling department. And that would be a great trio of safeties. And, yeah, I could see him being a, a Jimmy Ward-style guy, a guy who... When the Niners, when Vic Fangio was with the Niners, they drafted in the first round, and he's been a key part of their defense ever since, since being drafted in the late first out of Northern Illinois. And then this is really a low-key pick. And I guess the argument doesn't just apply to this guy. It applies to a few different edge rushers, outside linebackers, let's say. Josh Uche out of Michigan, the guy who really stood out at the Senior Bowl, kicked butt against Tristan Wirfs and against Jedrick Wills and that Alabama offensive line. Really a stud at Michigan for a defense and a team that came along in the end of the season. He's intriguing. A, if anything, if there were any concerns with Chubb's injury and recovery, which I don't think there are, but hypothetical scenario, if the Broncos got an offer they can't refuse for Von Miller um, for an edge rusher thirsty team. And if, you know, the thing is you already have Hollins, who I thought looked really good, and he has that versatility to play inside and outside, kind of be what Leonard Floyd was for that defense, for that Fangio defense in Chicago. Uh, that third edge rusher who you can play in three edge sets because he's versatile, because he's mobile, he can do enough sideline to sideline, enough dropping in coverage. And Uche or even a guy like Zach Bond uh, certainly could do that. Hollins, though, is what complicates the thing. 
because you maybe already have a young guy like that. So Uche only comes into play if there was another added move to that. But his stock's rising high enough, and his versatility is intriguing enough, where I guess he's kind of a low-key guy that I would throw in that mix. And based off my board, sure, he's a reach. Not a crazy reach, though. Not a crazy reach. And that's kind of the end of the true first-round options. After that, we're going to get into guys to consider in the top 50 and beyond. Before we do so, though, I want to give a shout-out to our guys at Breckenridge Brewery. Came into the office rocking my Breck jacket, rocking my Breck beanie today as well. And today... I, lo- I love that we got to do the draft pod off Thursday because Thursday's the day we talk about their great Colorado core, their fine apple blonde ale. Here's the description. This is some fine, you know, sometimes I go off the cuff. Today I want to read the, the, the great writing from Breckenridge Brewery on their Colorado core. We collaborated with Colorado's own Talbot Cider Company. I mean, already. You know, just like us. They stay in-house. They're Colorado proud. To create an apple blonde ale that tastes like late summer in a glass. Brewed with 49% unprocessed apple cider from the fabled Paladise Grand Valley produce region. Colorado core has the crisp, tart taste of apples with a clean, bone-dry finish. What a beautiful description. That's really true. That's that's what it tastes like. That's why I call it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a little champagne vibe. It's not exactly like a hard cider. It's not exactly like a beer. It is just a delightful thing of its own entirely. And I love it. It's, uh, it's one of my top three Breckenridge Brewery drinks for sure. And then I want to tell you guys about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so check them out. It's CBD-infused coffee, and it takes away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety, you name it. CBD, of course, is all-natural and not psychoactive. It's rich coffee. It's tasty. We couldn't recommend it more. We've been recommending and drinking it deeply for years enjoy it check it out for yourself today and you can get 20 percent off when you use code dmvr20 at checkout you already knew that support breckenridge brewery drink colorado core check out strava craft coffee and get yourself 20 percent off some delicious and also like healthy helpful mind and body fulfilling coffee from strava craft all right back to Second round options for you right here. And I went, boy, I'm just in a defensive line kind of mood. I do feel like on defense, sure, there are needs. Uh, If Chris Harris is out the door, and that's very possible. Cornerback will be a need. I think you need one starting cornerback. I do believe in Bosby. I do believe in Bryce Callahan. I do believe both will be back and will be able to be important contributors, and I like what I saw 
from Yadam at times. I like the improvements I saw. And I, what I saw by Harrison stretches, um, Devontae Harris, who came from the Bengals, and I thought, all considered, did a, did a pretty nice job. And we did talk about cornerback last week. I don't think the value is going to match up in round one, even if the Broncos were to trade down. Uh, I do like Noah Ignobne from Auburn. Very intriguing. Trevon Diggs, pretty high on him as well. Paulson Adebo, I think, fits the scheme. Bryce Hall fits. I wouldn't take one of those guys in a trade down. Would I consider trading back up and using that second rounder and maybe something else to move up and get guaranteed that I get one, the corner that I like out of that group? Yeah. Yeah, but I wouldn't take them before pick 25 just because there's not much of a difference. Um, Jeff Gladney will be in the mix in round three. Jalen Johnson of Utah, eh, maybe. Troy Pride Jr. of Notre Dame, could be. Damon Arnett as well. C.J. Henderson, possibly. You worry about some of the tackling with Henderson, but the talent's enough that you'd, you'd gamble on it. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, those are kind of your options at cornerback. Safety, round two, not really. It's It's just not a big enough need. I don't think outside of McKinney, you really have any options like that. Then, all right, Marlon Davidson out of Auburn. Defend, back to the D-line. I talked about how I really liked him at the Senior Bowl. As an interior guy, he makes a lot of sense. Kind of had that A.J. Epinesa problem of playing as a true D-end in college. Eh, not enough of, of an, an edge bender to work with all that space outside, to close all that space quickly enough, consistently enough move him closer to the ball, closer to center, where he can take on guards after he measured in at over 290 pounds in Mobile. Now he starts to become a lot more intriguing. You worry he might be a little too light. He might be a little too light. Is he Demarcus Walker? That's the thing. Epinesa, I don't worry at all about him playing as a true 3-4 D end. That's his better spot. Davidson even bulked up, and I know in, in sub, he would be devastating on third and long when you know it's guaranteed to be a pass and he just needs to go beat a guard one-on-one. -on -one. He's going to be devastating. Can he hold up enough consistently? It's a question. I think it's a gamble worth taking. I feel like he, that upside to play as a true inside guy and not be overwhelmed by double teams... I feel a lot more. I feel a lot better about him being able to do that than than I did Demarcus Walker, who I always had doubts about and felt like he was kind of a man without a country, as far as a true position in the NFL came. Davidson's intriguing though, but he is a gamble because of that. Who's less of a gamble is a guy like Russ Ross Blakelock, who I had in the first round of my mock. A lot of people have had in the first round of their mock the defensive tackle from TCU. His power is really intriguing. His first step quickness, penetration ability. On top of that power and ability to really hold up against um, double teams is what makes him so intriguing as an interior um, defense. You know, defensive lineman who might be more of what the Broncos need than a guy like Davidson who overlaps a little bit with guys they already have and might be more gimmicky and specialized. He's He truly fits that mold. 
those are two defensive linemen I'd be really intrigued by in round two. Terrell Lewis, the outside linebacker from Alabama. I kind of love this guy. His upside is fascinating. Another guy who would fit that Leonard Floyd um, Leonard Floyd role in that Fanjo defense from what we saw uh, with Fanjo in Chicago and fits similarly to Josh Uche. Now, he has more length than Uche. He has more upside. He has as much upside as just about anyone in this draft. I guess Zach Bond would also fit in this category as a guy who fits that role. Lewis's potential, though, is off the charts. Would be a luxury pick, though. Would be a luxury pick, but a name to, to keep in mind. Josh, uh, Justin Madbuki, the other defensive tackle from Texas A&M, another name to keep in mind. Interior penetrator, what's intriguing about him is that first step quickness, but he 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 can play inside. He's he's not some hybrid or adapted defensive end. He's a true D tackle who who fits what the Broncos want. Might be a Malik Jackson type. Um, he's doesn't get enough pub right now, but he's a solidly in my top fifty and a guy I really like. Um, and then Troy Dye out of Oregon. I think he'll start getting some hype. I think he'll test well at the Combine. I don't think he's going to be around all that long. If you want him, you need to pounce on him in round two. I think he really fits what the Broncos are looking for. We've talked about him, Henry and I, on our pod for a long while now. A long while. Um. So, yeah. He's uh he's a guy we really like and I think I'm I'm starting to see people talk about him more and more and more. And um that's what's gonna make him a, a prize possession because those linebackers, you know, we're highlighting all the guys who who have the upside to be really good in coverage. Not just for this scheme, but for in general in the modern NFL, that's where you're really getting your value in an inside linebacker. You're not just looking for some thumper. You're looking for a guy who's got speed sideline to sideline, can drop in coverage, can play that underneath zone, but also be able to turn and run with the tight end up the seam or turn and run with a running back on a wheel route. You know, uh, that's where you're, you know, in a one-on-one matchup where it looks like a mismatch, but the guy can hold his own. He can allow you to survive. And those are the guys that are going to go a little higher the most. And that's kind of my top defensive targets by round two. Uh, you, And kind of day two in general. I think that's the vibe you're going for. Med, Medbuki early in the third round might be around. Guys like Lakey Fotu, Devon Hamilton, uh, Fotu. Uh, from Utah, Hamilton, Ohio State. Fotu, eh, more of a two-down guy. Gives you a little penetration, but nothing crazy. Hamilton, a little more pass rush ability. Round three, linebacker, I'm looking at Akeem Davis-Gathers uh, from App State because he does have those cover skills. It's interesting, when I get to day three, there are plenty of linebackers I like when I evaluate them and just look at where I'm going to rank them and what have you, and I think can have successful NFL careers. For the Broncos, though, next to Johnson 
you know, as we look forward to the future. Davis had a good season, um, but still showed his limitations. And I think with a guy with more athleticism and cover skills, you could do some different things in coverage um, in that Fanjo scheme. And especially, you know, it just allows you a little more ability to not be as concerned when you do have those one-on-one matchups I mentioned a second ago. So there are guys like Logan Wilson's a perfect example. Linebacker I really like. Uh, Talked to him at the Senior Bowl. Looking forward to going to see him at his pro day in Wyoming. Phenomenal career at Wyoming. I remember talking to people at that program when he was a freshman. People hyping him up. He's a, you know, I don't know what they call it in Wyoming, but I know Missouri is a true son because that's what uh, Drew Locke is. He's a Wyoming kid who went to Wyoming, started very early, became a captain, has just been a stud for that defense, got a senior bowl invite. It's going to carve out a nice career for him. For the Broncos, though, you already have Josie Jewell on the bench. You don't need another guy like that right now. Maybe Wilson, eh, he might be. He, I think he's more he's more athletic, a little more versatile. I'm not just trying to compare white guys here. But I, I just think he's not dynamic enough to use a pick on when you already have a solid pro like Josie Jewell who can be a starter in this league. He's just not going to fit all schemes and you worry about his ability on third down. So on day three, I have a harder time, which is why on day two, you kind of got to attack some of these more dynamic cover guys we have. Or you go after, and we might as well just start the, the day the day three conversation for all positions right now because we already talked about some of the cornerbacks last week. And then on day three... You know, if you want a hybrid guy, you want a guy like Kayvon Wallace from Clemson who can play that Will Parks role, be that nickel linebacker for you, be that hybrid safety, play downhill for you, but enough coverage ability to not kill you, I'd be all for that. Julian Blackburn from Utah, he's more of that Xavier McKinney, um, you know, Ward kind of guy. Where he's versatile, he can cover the nickel, he can cover outside, he can do a lot of stuff. And so the back seven names, uh, you know, and I'd stay away from edge rushers at that point. Higher up, those guys are more intriguing because they've got greater upside. And if something happened, you'd take them on. And if you need a depth piece because someone like Vaughn's traded or what have you, then yeah, you go get a depth piece. But really, in day three... You're not doing anything clever. You you might as well stick with guys like Hollins and Malik Reed, develop those guys, bring them along slowly. Guys who intrigue me, again, are on the defensive line, which, again, I think is the biggest need for the Broncos, and you just need more rotation pieces with basically every interior defensive lineman on the roster going to be hitting free agency except for a couple exceptions like Walker and Draymond Jones. And that's where a guy like Jason Strobridge Another hybrid kind of guy, like Epinesa, who's really not a hybrid, or Marlon Davidson. Strobridge stood out so much at the Senior Bowl. I've put some clips on the different recaps from the Senior Bowl. Just He's a guy who on third down and sub package from the interior can devour guards. Heavy hands, more length 
than you'd think. Standing close to him, it was like, boy, this guy's big. Doesn't weigh a ton, but it doesn't matter. He's it's like a poor man's Aaron Donald in that even though he's at 260, he's powerful enough, plays with great leverage, violent hands, can do it all. But outside, again, it's it's the Davidson thing. With too much space, he's not going to close close that space quickly enough to really make an impact consistently. Now, you worry, though, double teams and stuff, he's probably going to be a little more of a gadget player. Or he would work more in an, a four-man front where he's a true D-end on first and second down. And maybe with the Broncos, you know, they, they play a lot of four-man fronts anyways with Fanjo. He gives guys like Vaughn and Chubb a little rest on first and second down. Solid run defender as a defensive end. And then in sub-package and NASCAR-type looks, boom, bring them inside. In day three, well worth the gamble. Well worth the pick because he's a versatile piece. And then one of my favorite guys, Christian Rector from USC. Surprised he declared really had high expectations for this defensive tackle coming into the season and just, you know, USC, it's just been such a disaster. He he had like his worst season in two in three years and just wasn't able to be productive. But this guy has talent for days. I'm telling you, an intriguing interior rusher with tons of length. Only plays 10 games, two and a half tackles for a loss and one sack last season as a senior. But as a junior, nine tackles for a loss, four and a half sacks, two pass deflections at the line. As a sophomore, maybe even better, 11 tackles for a loss, seven and a half sacks. For a guy from the interior who's, you know, 6'4", 275, long arms, He's a nice developmental piece. This is a guy who, okay, you you can't stomach uh, a defensive lineman in the first three rounds with one of those top 100 picks because you've added your veteran. You believe in Draymond. You were able to uh, re-sign, you know, you kept Mike Purcell. Maybe you re-signed Wolf or something, or you got an Eric Armstead. You're looking good. You just want a rotation piece. He would be a really nice gamble in day three. Like a really nice gamble. Because if you can get him back to being who he was as a sophomore and junior, you got yourself a top 50 type pick. That's the kind of talent he is. He'd be a perfect fit in this system as well. So there you go. That's a... I need a breather after just unleashing on a bunch of guys I would target. I have my eye on before I keep digging in on new guys as I'm, you know, getting ready to publish these pre-combine rankings, these are really guys I would have my eye on at kind of every spot, um, every round. Nice defensive line class, lots of guys I like, lots of guys I think could really help the Broncos strengthen that rotation and, um, you know, get get after those quarterbacks in the division to be able to compete and maximize Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, some nice linebackers for that Fanjo scheme, and some very nice, versatile defensive backs that I think you could get at a good value for Fanjo's scheme as well. With that, we are going to take a quick break. I need it. I'm going to drink some water. The good people at Blake Street Tavern will deliver you this message, and then we will be 
right back to answer your question. You're a little late on the questions this week, guys, but I got some other questions from my peeps and Twitter and what have you and a few last closing thoughts on my mind. And then we'll get out of here. So stay tuned. We'll be right back in like 10 seconds. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, They've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. All right. Thank you, Ryan, and thank you to the good folks at Blake Street Tavern. And before we go on, I do want to remind you, we are part of the DMVR Podcast Network. We're not just a podcast network, though. We do have a website, thedmvr.com. We cover all the major sports in town, have credentialed full-time journalists covering all of those teams, growing local media company in 2020. Who would have thought it? And yet we're doing it. We keep pushing the envelope, not just with the written content, this great video content. We're, we've been doing a bunch of cool side projects. Um, we get in depth. We do it all. It's uh, We do it all, and we're at everything, and we can't do it without your support. You can subscribe to the site to get all that great exclusive content on our website, and you'll also get a free T-shirt. Go to thedmvr.com. Check it out. And help us out. Join the family. If you're listening to the podcast and you enjoy the personalities you hear on our podcast network, you will not regret buying a subscription and becoming a member of DMVR. We are Denver. So thanks, folks, for your support, as always. All right. One thing I wanted to get into before tackling some questions, it's a, a little question I've had myself, you know, some Trade-up scenarios, who are the worthy targets? And how high do you trade up because there's a lot of draft capital and you're not going to use all these picks. I know that's something Mace has talked about. And so who do you trade up for? What do you give up? Boy, if you could give up one of those third rounders, that's the sweet spot. One of the third rounders. And then you give up one or even two of those day three picks, which on the trade value chart aren't worth a ton, but they're still worth something. Then I could buy in because, yeah, you have a lot of draft capital. Yeah, you won't be able to make all those picks. And maybe that's where you use some of those picks to move up in the third or move up a few spots in the second just to guarantee the guys you want to get. With my logic, to move up at that modest price, you're moving up at most to like pick 
11, or 10. Now, it seems like a small move, but as we've talked about in the mock episodes, giving up one of those extra third rounders and sprinkling in one or two day three picks to move up to, say, 12 to 11 to 10, it really guarantees that you can get one of those offensive tackles or wide receivers. And I think CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy are definitely worth moving up for. I think Andrew Thomas and Tristan Wirfs are also worth moving up for and guaranteeing. In that order, the receivers first, then the offensive tackles. But they would definitely, if you feel, if like three of those four are already gone by pick 11, make that move. Jump up to try and go get them. Maybe you can't trade in the division with the Raiders at 12, but you, you get what I mean. Those are the kind of targets you would look at in a trade-up scenario, and that's the kind of value I would feel comfortable stomaching. Because while, yeah, getting a foundational, you know, true number one wide receiver or, uh, or you know, even just a 1A to Sutton's 1B to really create a dynamic wide receiver duo or that true blindside protector, it's it's important. But having something like five day three or day two, you know, five top hundred picks, what we always say is in the top hundred, if you're picking in the top hundred, you should be getting a future starter. And to get five potential future starters in one draft class, I would only give up one, narrow that down to four to guarantee you a top guy. I wouldn't do more because those future starters, they're just so valuable. They're so important. And if you really nailed every single pick, which you you have to assume, you're not going to nail every single pick. Maybe you you nail three of the five. And that's where, again, the value of having more opportunities to just roll the dice and try to get someone is where uh, the rubber meets the road, I guess is the expression. So, yes, I'm all for moving up to try and get those guys at the right price. But be weary, because if you take care of business like you should, like you have the last couple drafts, you could really have something special in this team rebuilt in full and looking to truly compete in the AFC for good. Another question I have just from some of the conversations on Twitter that I've seen last couple days with the Broncos being in the market to trade for someone like Stephon Diggs, who of course had his breakout career moment under Pat Shermer with the Minnesota Vikings in that offense that Case Keenum was a part of, or even a Tyler Lockett. Well, for starters, they're different. Diggs is a stud. <sighs> How much would you give up is my concern. Uh, again, I'm I'm kind of st- I'm very stingy about giving up draft capital. I I think it's the most efficient and important way of developing a team, especially in football, where you have a 53 man roster and you can't, you know, you can only sacrifice so many future gains for immediate gains because it's going to catch up to you and it's going to come back to bite you in a long way and it's going to compromise your your future. And you don't want that if you want to compete year in and year out, especially since you've nailed a couple of drafts. So your, your window is going to tighten because you'll have to pay those guys and then your cap tightens. Now all of a sudden it gets more and more important to have cost-effective, cost-controlled um, rookies and young players on your roster. 
So I'd be weary of the price, but obviously Diggs would be a true slam dunk. He's he's the prototype of the kind of wide receiver you'd want in this offense. I love Lockett. Love, love, love Lockett. The fact that you can line him up all over despite his lack of size. He's a great deep ball threat and um, did so well with Russell Wilson over the years. I think he could be great with Drew Locke. He I'd be more intrigued by because I think you could get him at a better price, frankly. But how things change with that, look, maybe don't go wide receiver in the first, but if one of those top guys is staring you in the face, you still take them, and you still go after wide receivers and attack this potentially historic wide receiver class from how I evaluate it and anyone else has evaluated it and how we've talked about it for the entire year, this isn't just happen. It's not like we all just dreamt this up on draft Twitter. This is for real. This wide receiver class is for real. One trade or free agent signing for a veteran doesn't change that. You still need to strengthen that wide receiver core. You still need to take advantage of this wide receiver class. Maybe don't do it in round one. It changes things a little bit, but you still attack it and try to get some gems because at a certain point, there's just too many talented wide receivers that you're going to get some at a really good value. Maybe that's in day two. Maybe that's in day three, but you got to attack that value and really get it. So it changes things a little bit doesn't change things a ton. All right, and now questions. Uh, my man Luca, who I mentioned with the Isaiah Simmons, um, Darwin Jane's comp, also asked me, he likes to trick me with these little questions, is Mekhi Becton this year's Garrett Bulls? So obviously they're not because Bulls, much more athletic, kind of light in the pants. Becton, anything but light in the pants. Very good athlete for his size, which is anywhere between like 375, 350. Like 350 is him being trim. Him being in like max shape is 350. And he can look so sloppy. So they're very different. You don't have the the size. Um, they both have kind of technical deficiencies is what the more I talked about this, where the comp lies. Technical deficiencies, Becton doesn't have the penalty problems, but both technical deficiencies to where they're inconsistent, and while they have very high-end raw tools, for Bulls it was his athleticism, for Becton it's his length and size, and the athleticism at that size. They can both be inconsistent, and that can hurt them, and it can lead to inconsistent plays, which we know at that position, you can be great for 99, 98% of the plays, but or even 95 But if that 5% is you allowed a sack, that maybe turns into a strip sack, or you have a huge holding penalty that nullifies a third-down conversion and sets up third and 20, which then leads to a pick... You're the, you know, you're you're a zero. You had a terrible game. I'm going to give you like a D or an F in my grades that week. And that's where it's a hard position. That's where being consistent isn't even, you have to be more than consistent. You have to be immaculate. You have to be perfect. You're like a pitcher. You pitch almost the perfect game, 
but then you you leave a homer or you 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 walk a guy, you allow a base hit, and then you allow a home run. Three hits, but boom, that's three runs, and you you get the L. You get pulled in the fifth inning because even though you were having a great game, little blunder like that. It's just one of those positions, man, where you have to be immaculate. Being consistent isn't enough. You have to be GD perfect, immaculate. And that's where, yeah, the concerns are there. But I think it's not an apples for apples comp. They're both boom or bust guys. I believe in Becton a little more. He reminds me of Orlando Brown. He's going to get negged to no end in the, at the combine. I just know it. He's, his body's going to look sloppy. He's not going to test amazingly because the kind of testing at the combine, it's not conducive to the kind of stuff he does well. It's just going to be talked down to death, but the upside is really massive. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe at the combine, he just lights it up. But I thought that was an interesting question. So so I, I thank Luca for his contribution to his pod and shout out to... Uh, you know, one of my brothers who who really got my start in this biz. And then one of your questions. Uh, boy, let's let's fire that up here. I have it on the phone. Give me just a second. Opening our app. You can use the app on Android or iOS. Just saying. DMVR, DMVR Sports. And it's from our great guy, Count Locula. Who asks, every once in a while, a sixth or seventh rounder upends their draft status and becomes an NFL legend. In your mind, who could that be for the Broncos this year? Name a guy or two that you think could spell victory for us late in the draft. Love the count. Thank you, as always, my man, for contributing to the show and asking a really intriguing question. Well, I think... This is a draft where you need to take advantage of that wide receiver depth or even running back depth. Keep an eye on Stephen Carr from USC. Joshua Kelly from UCLA, who I really liked at the combine, or at the senior bowl rather. Those as far as the running backs. Wide receivers, we'll see who drops. Um, Tyler Johnson has me intrigued from Minnesota. Probably goes earlier. Courtney Davis, John Hightower. The tools have me intrigued. The tape and, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a believer at this point. Jeff, yeah. I mean, here's the hard thing. The guys you like, you assume they'll go higher than where they're maybe being mocked at this point. James Proch of SMU. There's a guy that I'm intrigued by. There's a guy I'm intrigued by who you could get later in the draft, maybe as low as you're talking about. I think as one of our great listeners pointed out last week, into your O-line you start to see some value later in the draft. Maybe a Jake Hansen from Oregon, if he's still around, could be a nice value in the 6th or 7th and be like a starter level who you basically spent nothing on. Defensively, we talked about some of the guys already. Uh, Strobridge, I'm high on. Christian Rector is really the guy who I think could be that gem that the count is talking about. So Rector is my answer. But I'm still going to go through a couple more of these guys to make sure I don't forget anyone. You know who fits that mold kind of like Rector is Trayvon Hill, defensive end from Miami a couple years ago. 
he has this breakout game early in the season. He was with Virginia Tech. I forget. Gosh, I'm going to hate myself for this, but I forget who they played against. Anyways, it's a big game. He just goes off. Monster sacks. Everyone's already penciled him in like 2020. This guy's like top five pick. Well, then he transfers, kind of loses the shine. He was at the Senior Bowl, had his moments, but nothing great. You know, wasn't a guy who stood out above the rest. But he's a guy who kind of like Rector, fallen off a bit. He ever channels what he used to have. Um, he could be pretty darn good. Dante Olson, of course, the uh, linebacker from Montana who had such a phenomenal career. He is... Um, who my colleague and co-host Henry Chisholm would say. So I want to be sure to mention him. So for Henry, I'll say Dante Olson. For myself, I'll say Christian Rector. Thank you, Count, for that question. That really ends my thoughts on the draft for this draft pod. I don't know how appropriate this is, but, you know, it's still fresh in everyone's mind. It's crazy what happened with the CU coaching search. And I always, I just love the coaching searches. So I just want to give my couple thoughts of what what I'm looking for in a candidate, what I think is inc- intriguing about kind of the guys that have been thrown out there um, right now. I think for one, Mark Helfrich, a former Buffs offensive coordinator, of course, Oregon's head coach. Um, when Marcus Mariota was there, took over t- for Chip Kelly, was promoted. Uh, Scott Frost comes from his coaching tree. Um, you know, a guy who has that Chip Kelly playbook, then goes with the Bears, um, where him and Fanjo and Matt Nagy had a lot of success uh, with Mitch Trubisky. He wasn't calling plays with the Bears, but he was the offensive coordinator there. So he's been around a few different intriguing playbooks. He has experience in the Pac-12. He has experience at Colorado. Not sure why he's not talked about enough or why there aren't reports that he's been um, seeked out for an interview or something. But, you know, in a tough situation where not enough, not many guys are unemployed, there's a guy staring you in the face who kind of seems like a perfect fit. And if he's not a perfect fit as a head coach... He'd be really intriguing as a guy you call up and try to get on your offensive staff if you hired a defensive guy. Say, uh, you know, Walters, the the Mizzou defensive coordinator and former uh, buff, who's who's intriguing as the name that's out there. Or Andy Avalos, the D.C. at Oregon, who was the D.C. at Boise State for many years. Young guy, very intriguing. Uh, That'd be a matchup I would love. And on the other side, you know, just like with the NFL, where I think you wanted to to really compete with the Chiefs in the NFL, Fangio was great. But what was great about Fangio was he really worked when he's had an offensive mind like a Jim Harbaugh or a Matt Nagy to kind of counter his defensive prowess. And then you do, you know, the kind of the Sean McVay, Wade Phillips thing where it's the perfect match. You want a high-end defensive guy with a high-end offensive guy. And while Helfrick is a, a, a guy I try to keep warm um, for the defensive hires, you know, if someone like Coach Cheverini gets promoted to the full-time head coach, if I'm Shiv, Shev, I'm, I've already been on the phone with guys like Jim Levitt. 
and seeing what can it take. Would you ever consider leaving FAU to come back here? Because, dude, if I'm this again, I'm Cheverini here. We had a lot of success when I was doing the recruiting, I was doing the offensive stuff, and you ran that defense. And we won a Pac 12 South. And if Cephal is healthy for more of those games, who knows what we can do that season? It's the best season Colorado's had in 20 years. That's the pitch. Before even going in the interview, I'm trying to get someone like that on my side. So I can say, hey, if you hire me as the head coach, here's what my plan is. I'm going to bring in a veteran DC who I've already worked with is going to help me. And look, I know there's some sour grapes because he did basically what Mel Tucker did. He just left for the highest paid job as a defensive coordinator and things have only gone poorly for him ever since he did that move. Maybe he's learned from his lessons. You know, guys really liked him on that team. He really created a phenomenal defense that produced some nice NFL talent. He could do it again. He's shown he can win. He's shown he can win with the type of talent that you can recruit to Colorado. He would be huge as an ally. And with Biennemi, he'd be huge. Walters with Biennemi would be huge if that's in the mix. And look, Biennemi's intriguing from a PR standpoint. There's a lot of scary stuff for him coming back with how it went down last time he was the OC at Colorado. It's different circumstance. He was a different coach. He didn't have this level of experience. And I think it's proven that as a positional coach, he's really good. So in a smaller room with running backs, quarterbacks, what have you, he does really good. With the tippy top, the best of the best as an offensive coordinator commanding a room, he's loved in Kansas City. So you can make it work. Can you make it work when it's a lower level and control the kind of passion that made him such a great athlete and has made him such a great coach? But, you know, that's like Henry and Ryan talked about it on yesterday's pod or what, whenever that was, the, the Mel Tucker reaction pod. You know, how that was kind of one of the problems with Biennemi last time he was here. The other thing is, well, if interviews haven't gone well with NFL jobs, I think part of the problem is he maybe doesn't have a great clear-cut vision. And I'd just like to know what that would be. But I think it's this ti- the timing of this can't be overstated. It's unique, and it sucks, and it creates for a terrible situation in where one college was going to be robbed of their head coach late because this top 15 job opened up and it happens to be Colorado, well, also happens to be Colorado is the alma mater of the one big name in the NFL coaching circles who didn't get hired. Now, there are reasons for that, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't do well as a head coach. I mean, some people think he wouldn't do well, but, you know, sometimes the more unlikely scenario turns out to be really good um so that's what i'd have to say about that it's going to be interesting i think the pool kind of boils down to some of the names i just made some might be added but for the most part that's who you're looking at and it's going to be guys who are close to the program like that um and luckily there are some decent candidates and some potentially great candidates 
to keep the momentum and keep people happy. Um, I think, you know, the goal one is to make a great matchup of defensive and offensive minds. And goal two is to get someone that you can sell this 2020 class on staying together. I think maybe Helfrich less so than Cheverini and Walters and Bienemy. But I think all those guys you could sell that 2020 class on. Hey, this is a hot, exciting name. You know, it's it's a young DC that's done big things in the SEC at Walters. It's a great recruiting guy. Tons of passion for this college. Um, you already know him and trust him in Cheverini. Or one of the best young offensive minds, next guy up in that Andy Reid tree that's already produced guys like Frank Reich and Doug Peterson and Pat Shermer. The enemy's next up. We're very fortunate he didn't get an NFL gig. And it's a unique situation. Let's ride. Other thing with Bienemy is he seems in a lose-lose situation to take this job because he already seems to be right around the corner for an NFL job. And this taking a lower-level college job in a really tough situation where you don't have a ton of options to add to your staff. You don't have a ton of connections in the college game um, like some of these other existing college coaches. And so I, it's an uphill battle. And, okay, you, you win at Colorado, you'll get an NFL job for sure. But you're kind of on the verge of already doing that. Downside is it's an uphill battle to win at Colorado, as we've seen over time, and especially to win quickly. And if you lose, that probably tarnishes your stock. I don't know how many bonuses you get for, oh, at least he has head coaching experience. So I don't know. The enemy is a tough situation. The other guys are intriguing. And I think you could all sell them quite nicely. So... It'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. I'm always intrigued by the coaching carousel. So just wanted to get my thoughts on that briefly. Hope you enjoyed this pod. Um, shouldn't be any more insane breaking news, though. Probably by next Thursday, uh, the Buffs will announce who their coach is. Actually, because of that, I will already plan on having a guest just in case something happens with Henry. But anyways, all that aside, thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you so much for contributing to the pod as always i know there was just one question uh but we did have a pod monday so we kind of doubled up this week um so hey i understand but keep them coming draft keeps heaping, heating up lots more content coming lots more to talk about in the draft world here real soon as the combine's almost around the corner we'll preview that next week stay tuned for more great content on ddmvr i am andre simone thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend bye guys
Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent ten hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times, and stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in, but you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it Miro? Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.